Uh, a little while ago, I was on a retreat at home, and it's different. <laughs> it, you know, when you leave home, you go to a retreat center, just physically you leave all the kind of reminders of things that you have to do and take care of behind. You don't get that physical reminder uh, like being at home. And so there's all these things like, oh, that needs to be done or this or that. Or, and um, it's just like, no, not now, not now, not now, not now. It's kind of my practice or part of my practice. And it kind of turned into uh, nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to be or become. That kind of became sort of my mantra for the retreat. And um, I really liked it, um, meaning as a frame. You know, it's like it was a nice frame or a good, good reminder. And I had the thought, um, oh, this would be good to, for a Dharma talk. And so that's what the talk will be on. And it's kind of interesting and a little bit something, I don't know, that I'm going to talk for, you know, 45 minutes about nothing to do, no one to be <laughs> So maybe we'll just sit quietly for 45 minutes. <laughs> my in-laws, I guess, is my wife's sister and her husband, are those my in-laws? Yes, yes. Yeah? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so my in-laws, um, you know, just starting with nowhere to go, they're always going somewhere. They're never not going somewhere. It's unbelievable. Like, and, but going somewhere on top of going somewhere. They went down to the Florida Keys uh, and stayed at this place, but like that wasn't enough. They had to go on a cruise to the Bahamas from there. It's like wow, wow. Oh, so we're gonna go there. We're gonna go there. Whoa. Um, yeah, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> And when, you know, when that energy comes up in my life, I, I, I feel that or understand that as a manifestation of restlessness and a desire for experiences. And of course, these are two hindrances, right? Restlessness and desire being two of the five hindrances along with um, aversion, sleepiness, or low energy, and doubt. So, you know, maybe not so helpful for us to, to be constantly feeding. And just to say, you know, this restlessness, it's a, it's a really, it's, it's a formidable energy. Um, in the early Buddhist view of how enlightenment unfolds, there's, there's four different stages and at each stage, some of the defilements are, are uprooted. 
and after, so after the third stage of enlightenment, there's only like one more to go. One, this, this is a, a person who's quite, quite free. At, at the third stage, there's still some restlessness present. It's one of the last ones to go. So restlessness and a desire to have experiences. And by the way, experiences that we're not having right now. I think I may have uh, mentioned to one of the groups, or maybe in here, I can't remember, but a a teaching colleague um, came up with this phrase that the present moment is an acquired taste. Why? Why is an acquired taste? Um, because, because our attention tends to be quite superficial in the moment. It's just really on the surface of things. And when we just touch the surface of things, it can seem like there's not much there. And therefore, we go looking for different experiences. But when we learn to stay with experience and be with experience, then the richness and the fullness of life can be more fully, you know, realized and and experienced. And perhaps not a need to go someplace else to get a different experience, because this one's so, you know, pale. So this is, this is really quite a deep energy and our collective restlessness is really what's harming this planet. All these trips that, that people take, whether it's just, say, driving across town or, you know, or taking a cruise, it takes huge amounts of energy. It uses huge amounts of energy. And so this, this habit of mind, always needing having to need to have a place to go, it takes on different forms. It can take quite uh, gross forms, like my in-laws always needing a place to, to go somewhere, and not just little places, like big, long trips, Europe and here and there. Um, but it can be more subtle. The same energy, just more subtle, like... Um, you know, being at home and having the thought, uh, where can we go tonight? Or where can I, where, where can I go tonight? Just that. No. And I'll, I'll notice that sometimes. Maybe, maybe uh, done with work or something. Kind of like space, a little bit of space. Wife's done with work. And just sometimes feel it arise, like, you want to go somewhere? <laughs> and, and then feeling into it. And then, and then even might start to go down that road a little bit. Like, like yeah, well, let's go out to eat, you know. And then, and then starting to feel into it. Like, well, where do you want to go? Oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like you start to feel into it. And it's, it's like, it's just a habit. It's just a habit of wanting to go someplace. And when you even take two seconds to feel into it, 
The truth is, I don't really want to go anywhere. It's fine to be right here. But the habit can be quite strong. <laughs> then in meditation, right? You're sitting there. Maybe I'll take a walk to that place I haven't been to later. You know, that place on the property. Let's go there. But we're sitting in meditation. There's no place to go right now. Really seeing that, that thought as a manifest, in that moment, as a manifestation of restlessness. Uh, here's, here's not good enough. Huh? Go, go, go someplace. There's no place to go right now. Not just no place to go, but no place we have to go. Again, we might be meditating, and then there's thoughts of like, uh, oh, you have to go and, and get this or that at the store after the retreat, right? Right? I have to do. And that it might be so. It might be so that it would be helpful to go get this or that at the store. It's needed, and yeah, for whatever reason. Yeah. That, that might be true. But we don't have to do it right now. We're meditating. And to really feel into that, let that sink in. We don't have to do it. We don't have to go anywhere right now. The moment you become aware of going somewhere thoughts, <clears throat> oh, there's nowhere to go. <clears throat> and perhaps really feel the, uh, the relief from, uh, comes when, can come, when you can connect with that, the fact that you actually don't have to go anywhere right now. Uh, or can be. You know, what, what can be interesting, you hear stories about people becoming enlightened and then what they do after that, right? They definitely don't book a cruise. <laughs> I guarantee it. Mostly they just, when you hear, read stories, they just hang out. <laughs> because right now and right here is fulfilling. Eckhart Tolle, after he had his enlightenment experience, he just hung out on a park bench for days. Just sat there. Didn't go anywhere. When the heart and mind are, are to the degree that the heart and mind are, are freed from restlessness, freed from wanting, um, this, this going somewhere just doesn't quite have the same appeal. In fact, when one is really fulfilled in the present moment, the desire to go somewhere can be felt as agitating and stressful. You feel it for what it is. 
restlessness and desire, which are, you know, suffering states. Simply being here and now is felt as uh, much more pleasant and peaceful than the compulsion to go someplace. Now, you know, we hear this like, oh my God, I can't go anywhere. <laughs> this doesn't mean that we shouldn't ever go anywhere. It's not really saying that. But what it's saying is, can we at least be aware of this powerful energy and choose when we'll go somewhere or not, <coughs> rather than doing it compulsively? That's really what I'm pointing to. Nowhere to go. Nothing to do. <laughs> kind of picking on them a little bit, but my in-laws. <laughs> they were describing, they took a trip to Italy. And I, you know, asked, how was it? Well, we did Florence. And then we did, you know, Venice. And then we did Rome. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's just even in the language. <coughs> Doing. There's, um, there's a sutta where the Buddha talks about how there are two strong men, big, two big strong men, dragging a smaller, weaker man towards a blazing charcoal pit. And what what this is a like a simile for, or, or a, you know, teaching about is because um, this doing, this this doing is so strong. The Buddha actually had a teaching about it and a, and a, a phrase for it. It's called Mano Sanchetna. Mano Sanchetna. And the two big strong men are Mano Sanchetna. It's so strong. And, and the, the smaller man is just our, us, our heart, being dragged towards the charcoal pit, which is, of course, suffering. This doing drags us to suffering. And, you know, this shows up a lot in our daily lives. We are really quite addicted to having something to do. This is really kind of what's behind and also, and also get what gets strengthened around people's addictions to their phones. If you are or have ever been addicted to your phone, you know, notice what happens when there's a gap between what you were just doing and what comes next, right? In that gap. Because of the addiction to doing, that gap feels intolerable. And because we have these things, something to reach for, to fill the gap, 
to do something. Right? This drivenness to do something is manosanchetna. We get dragged to the charcoal pit. It's suffering to be compelled to do. It's not a peaceful, easeful state. Another example that I've, um, I've noticed, and again, I really don't know anything about this. I've read about it. Um, <laughs> is when white people begin to learn about systemic racism and white privilege and cultural appropriation, etc. What it's, it's all it's almost to to a person or to a group. We have to do something. We have to do something about this. We need to get more POC in our sangha. We have to get more POC in our institutions. We have to do something. Perhaps what would be more appropriate would be to just pause with the information that you just got, pause with that, and feel. Let that in. Just feel. Not do, not jump to doing. I, um, I'm involved in a, in a meditation group in Portland, Maine, and was involved from the, the start. And, um, and again, I certainly uh, played my part in this. And, you know, like a lot of the people are really well-meaning, um, older, kind of retired white people. And it's like, here we go. We're going to do, do. We're going to form committees, and we'll have a committee for that, and we'll do that, and we're going to have spreadsheets, and we're going to have Google Docs, and it's going to be, the, you know... And all that is, can be helpful. You know, I mean, it's not wrong or bad. But because the doing is so strong and it's not seen, something gets left out. And in fact, in the Sangha, there's starting to be some feedback about it's not relational enough. People are feeling not heard. People are feeling not seen in the rush to do and be and dot all the T's, no, dot all the I's and cross all the T's <laughs> in the rush to do and be in that way, um, people can get left out. There can be a lack of relationality. So now we're having to backtrack and, and have these um, facilitated meetings so people can express their sense of not being heard um, and realizing that, whoa, we really need to slow down. We need to take a lot more attention off the doing and a lot more attention, put a lot more attention on relationality. Which is, it, you know, it's good. It's all good. And it's just um, such a, to me, uh, a perfect example of, of doing and what happens when it takes over. And I don't know about you, but if I'm just in a place where all of a sudden there's a, a gap in what needs to get done, I was talking about that gap, and then maybe feel the, right? And then 
be mindful of that, and then just just settle back into being aware in the body, whatever, just settle back into the moment. It's so freeing to not have to do, to feel it and start to, you feel its tendrils start to come in and then, ah, nothing to do. There's nothing to do. And rest back in that, freed from the grip of Manasanchetna. And then, so it shows up in our daily life, shows up in meditation. And we can see the pattern of thoughts about what we'll do or have to do after a retreat, right? I gotta do this and I'll do that. That's Manosanchitna. To get that done, okay, that'll be good. And then, then I have to do that. And then, oh, then there's this other thing. I should do that. And then, yeah, you know that? Grinding, grinding in the mind. So that kind of a little bit, a grosser level of it, maybe more subtly uh, meditating with a sense of doing rather than a sense of being. We've talked a lot about this, about being receptive. Yes, it's all about doing and and non-doing. And our doing in meditation can get really subtle. Joseph Goldstein talks about being with the in-breath to get to the (laughs) out-breath. Being with the in-breath to get to the out-breath. I... I call this uh, being present so that. I'll pay attention to the body so that I'll get concentrated. I'll be aware of this emotion or this back pain so that it goes away. When we're being mindful so that, then there's doing. In daily life, we may be washing the dishes so that we'll get them done. Or we could be washing the dishes just to wash the dishes. There is much less doing in this this approach, in the second approach. And the experience of of washing the dishes to get them done and washing the dishes just to wash the dishes, that experience, the inner experience in us, is very different. When we're washing the dishes just to wash the dishes, there's much more ease and contentment in the moment. I think it's important to understand Also, though, that we don't let go of the habit of something to do in order to just, like, be hermits or turn our backs on the world or not engage in the world. That's not really, that's not what we're doing. 
when we let go of doing, we can actually respond to the world rather than being driven to do something and interact with it from that place. In the Zen tradition, enlightenment is, uh, they say, is akin to, they call, an appropriate response to the moment, to whatever the moment is. That enlightenment is an appropriate response. So, someone's hands are full, and we spontaneously reach for the door. That's an appropriate response. There's no doing in that. There could be. <laughs> right? Who's watching? <laughs> right? So there could be a lot of doing in that, but assuming that's not happening. Someone's hands are full, they're, they're heading towards the door, just, just spontaneously. Oh, that's an appropriate response. There's really no doing in that. Get a sense of that? So not doing doesn't mean we don't interact with the world and respond. It's just that the interaction is an appropriate response to the moment and not being driven by Mano Sanchetana. There's a, a classic kind of teaching story of a monastic sweeping a walk. And someone goes up to them and asks them, you know, what are you doing? And they say, I'm not doing anything. And then the person says, of course you are. You're, you're sweeping. And the monastic says, sweeping is happening, but there's no doing. <laughs> This is how we live fully in this world without doing, without something to do. There's a book about Ajahn Chah's life. Ajahn Chah, teacher of like Ajahn Sumedho, Ajahn Suchito, Ajahn Amaro. Um, the book about his life and his teachings is called Still Water Flowing. That's what, that's what this title is pointing to. Ajahn Chah was considered a fully enlightened being. There was no manosanchetana. There was no doing. Still, still water. But he was a, the, you know, abbot of a very, you know, busy, full monastery. Water was flowing. It was still and flowing. No doing and responsive to the world. So, nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to be, and no and or, no one to become. So we can look at this story about the monastic sweeping um, the walk, we can look at it through the lens of not doing, and we could also look at, at it through the lens of no one, no one there. So not only is there no doing happening in sweeping the walk, there's no one there sweeping. There's just sweeping happening. There's no one who is the sweeper. 
no one takes on an identity. Even, even the most subtle um, momentary identity of the one who is sweeping. It's just not there. There's no one there. There's no sweeper. There's just sweeping. And which is uh, also what's so powerful about doing, when there's doing, and, and remember, when I'm using the word doing, I'm, I'm referring to that compulsive, habitual relationship to our world. Yeah? The manosanchetana. So when there's doing, whenever there's doing, there's going to be a doer. It's always going to be. Those two are always going to be together. When there's doing, there's a doer. Sweeping is happening, but there's no one sweeping. There's no sweeper. So, this experience may seem kind of far off for us, um, may, maybe not fully, can fully appreciate it or take it in, or, or maybe doesn't fully jibe somehow. Perhaps not fully, but we can appreciate, say, softening and relaxing the body more and more and more so that we are the one breathing less and less and less and just breathing is happening. Mm -hmm. Feel into that. You need to meditate for 50 years to relax the body and kind of let go of the doing of breathing and by letting go of the doing of breathing, you let go of the breather, the one who's breathing. It's just body breathing in and breathing out. So this is the same thing, just subtler. Breathing is just happening. You know, on one level, I think we're always practicing letting go of the self on this path. Even right from the very beginning of practice, when the, um, when the Buddha would um, come into contact with someone who hadn't ever heard the teachings, he taught in this six-step six way he would teach. And the very first thing he taught was generosity. And one of the main reasons the first thing he taught, why he taught generosity is the first thing, is because right away it begins to let go of this self-centered preoccupation. If you are having the thought like, you know, oh, so-and-so's sick, um, I think I'll stop home on the way to work and get them some soup, right? Where is your attention right when you're having that thought? Is it on you? No. It's on your friend and what they might need. So the Buddha taught generosity partly in the beginning because it starts to loosen the, the grip of the sense of self 
as we consider others, you know, what their needs might be. So, part of what part of the way we practice is is by say, yeah, really relaxing the body, letting go. Breath is happening, not so much someone breathing. Yeah, that's we practice no one to be by experiencing a little bit, no one to be, <laughs> no one there. The other way we practice is um, how, how to, noticing all the ways when we become somebody. Really noticing all the ways that we can chill into a somebody. And this is called, um, in, in Pali, bhava tanha, or the craving for becoming. So, Four Noble Truths, first Noble Truth, Truth of Suffering, Dukkha. Second Noble Truth, the cause of suffering, Tanha, or craving, which has three different aspects to it. The craving for sense pleasures, the craving for becoming, and the craving for non-becoming. So this is that second one, the craving for becoming. I will become the person who... You just fill in the blank. <laughs> There's a million of them. I'll become the person who become who who becomes an amazing trombone player. I'll become the person who has a ton of money. I'll become the person. You know, and <laughs> Dharma is not excluded from this. I'll become the person who is infinitely compassionate. I will become, I will become, I will become. There is stress in that. The Buddha taught stress and the ending of stress. There's stress in becoming. I uh, do this kind of meditative art of um, air rifle shooting. And I've really kind of gotten into it and practice a lot. And on one level, it's quite enjoyable and going to competitions and it's really, it's, anyways, there's a whole side to it, like really watching the mind and, and, and noticing wanting and all that. But there's, there, there's a becoming in it. I will, be, I will become the one who shoots well or shoots better than I shoot now. And I can feel there's a stress in that. There's absolutely a stress in that. So it doesn't have to be like some big gross thing. I'm going to you know, become a megalomaniac or whatever. Even these small becomings, can. there's stress in them. And, and as with all things in our practice, when we, when we see them, we see them, we see things on their grossest manifestations, and then we keep seeing the same thing, and we see it subtler and subtler. So we notice ourselves wanting to become someone in like obvious ways. Um, 
you know, wanting to be the center of attention or praised for this and that. Really the self kind of like ego, really looming large. Yeah, we, we can notice that and do notice that. Or maybe a bit more subtly, like I just mentioned, we, we are the one who's going to become proficient at something. It could be anything. I give you my example. It could be, I'm going to be the one who becomes proficient at throwing pots. Or I'm going to be the one who is a really good perennial gardener. Or I'm going to be really proficient at playing chess. Or you just, There's a million of them. And again, it doesn't mean, just like, it doesn't mean to, that we don't ever go anywhere or do anything or play chess or have a perennial garden. Doesn't mean that. What we're pointing at here isn't the chess or the perennial <coughs> garden or the air rifle shooting. It's the contraction of a sense of self that can, that can, not always, but can and often is associated with it. I am a good chess player. Or chess is just being played and enjoyed. Is this making any sense? A little bit? Yeah. Okay. With mindfulness, we can really receive this, and in the receiving of it, we can feel the burden it entails. We can experience it. Not just the burden, but if, if this really goes kind of far down the road and we really become someone, the alienation that comes with that, the more we become someone, the more separate we are. Being willing and able to feel this burden, this suffering of someone to be and someone to become, being willing and able to feel that, we naturally start to let it go. Because we're sentient life forms and we don't want to suffer. It doesn't stop there. It can get very subtle. We might begin to see how we identify uh, in even less obvious ways, like even with just some of the roles we might play in our life. You know, when we go to work, maybe we become the boss or the employee. And, and without awareness, take on patterns of behavior associated with what we think that role entails. Becoming that, we become that. We take on those behaviors without really fully being aware of it. We literally become the boss, or we literally become the employee, without knowing it. And of course, we can substitute any number of, i just use that as an example, any number of roles um, into this equation. 
And we're always in, you know, in roles, and roles aren't a problem, but are we aware of them? And can we step into them uh, with awareness and, you know, and kind of, and take them lightly, play with them as opposed to become them? You know, one of the one of the nice things about retreat, and I, I for me, and I, I've heard lots of people say this, and I'm sure you'll agree to some extent, is um, we don't have to be anybody when you come on retreat. We don't even have to talk to anyone, <laughs> right? Because talking, you know, is one of the main ways that this, that the self arises is through through language. We don't have to talk to anyone. We don't have to be anybody. One of, one of the favorite things I like about being on retreat is I don't have to be the teacher mm. to be truthful. It's like, oh. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't enjoy it. It's not just, you know, a blessing to be, to to play this role, but to put it down, oh, love it, love it. I love, like, on a retreat, yogis just kind of plot around in their jammies or, you know, with their comfy clothes, and, you know, perhaps paying a little bit less attention to how, how they look. It's like, yes, it's great. It feels good, right? It feels good to put that down. It's like somehow everyone agrees that we don't need to be anybody so much right now. Yeah, it's like almost this unspoken group, something like, let's just be together and not be someone so much. (laughs) What a relief. Nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to be or become. What's left? Just going to end with a one of my favorite uh, teaching stories. Stories are great. Like so, I can blah 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 for forty minutes, and it's kind of two dimensional, right? It's, it's didactic. But when you hear a story, it's three-dimensional, right? It's a bit more alive. I love being, I love hearing teaching stories. When I would listen to Dharma talks, I was always happy when it, there was a story, because it's just, it's more alive. I find it more alive. So there's this person, spiritual seeker, and um, really wanted to uh, learn from a master, really wanted to kind of get that, that transmission. And they started to ask around, does anyone know a master? Is there a master around? And not really. People were saying no. And one person said, though, you know, you, you, might, you might look in the mountains. You know, I've heard that sometimes... Um, you know, these enlightened beings like to hang out up in the mountains. <laughs> so, 
this person hadn't really gotten any other bites uh, before this, so they kind of headed, headed up to, to where the mountains were. And um, they started asking around in some of the towns at the foothills of the mountains, like, is there a master around? Or do, you know, do you know any master? And people are like, no, no, maybe, maybe, though, if you go into the mountains a bit more, someone might know. So this person went deeper and deeper into the mountains up in, and the, the town started to get small hamlets and they're asking, um, do you know of a master? Do you know of any masters? And started to get like a little bit more, yeah, I, I, people would say, I've heard of someone, you know, up higher in the mountains. That, that I've, I've heard there may be someone there. So this person's going deeper and deeper into the mountains, up higher, it's getting cold. Hamlets have become just, just tiny little villages, a couple houses. He's asking, is there a master? Yes, yes, I, I, I've heard there's a master up high, high in the mountains. <laughs> so he keeps going up higher and higher and still not finding the master. And he's just camping now at this point. He's camping, it's cold. And so one day, he's, he's, now there's no roads, there's nothing. It's just a trail. He's on this trail hiking up through the mountains, still, still with this fervor, like, I want to find the master. And he sees this person walking down, uh, down the path, a little up above, walking down the path towards them. And they're carrying this sack over the shoulder, as many people do in the mountains, going here to there. And he's like, oh, here comes a person. Maybe I'll ask them. And what this person didn't know is that the person coming down the path was the master. But they didn't know it. And so, you know, finally they meet. And um, the person asks the master, do you know of, of any master uh, living in, the in these mountains? And the master says, no, I know of no master living in these mountains, right? No one to become, that person didn't, hadn't become a master, so they weren't lying. No, there's no master in these mountains. And so then the person's like, oh. well, do you know anything about enlightenment? <laughs> and at that moment, the master let the sack drop. It hit the ground, and the person's mind opened. <laughs> Nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to become. Just put it down, put it all down. And that's what the Master was teaching by dropping the, the burden, the burden of having some place to go, the burden of having something to do, the burden of having to become somebody. And then, so the, that person's mind just completely woke up and they said, well, now what do I do? <laughs> and the master reached down, picked up the bag, put it over his back, and kept walking. <laughs> so maybe you might bring in this phrase, the phrase of nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to be or become into your practice from time to time. Just drop it in and see what it might elicit in you. Hopefully it will support increased letting go and happiness and freedom.
Let's be quiet for a moment. Nothing to do. <laughs> Let the words dissolve. Where we have to go. Yeah, but it's dinner soon. No, but not right now. <laughs> Nowhere to go. No one to be. I, I have to be aware of this breath. No, you don't need to be the person aware of the breath. You don't have to do anything. just kind of to bring it maybe full circle with our theme. Being receptive to our experience is really supportive of all of this. Thank you for your presence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.